Yeah, happy uh, first Sunday after Easter. Um, we're excited you're here with us, but you know, the Easter holiday is over, right? Like you walk into the grocery stores and they're selling, you know, the candy at like, you know, 90% off and all that stuff. You've put away your, your decorations and you may even be done with leftovers uh, from if you had a big lunch, but much happened after uh, the first Easter that was lasting until this very day. And so as we talk about Easter, like sometimes we are like, oh, Easter, well, that was a good Sunday or that was a good day or that was a good time with our family. And then we move on. But really, you know, the early church uh, had a whole season. They actually called it Easter Tide. Don't know why they called it Easter Tide, but... They really just celebrated the appearances of Jesus, you know, for 40 days until we get to a place where the church talked about Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit came. A little church history for you. That's for free. There you go. But in this time that Jesus uh, rose from the dead at Easter, uh, he appeared to a ton of people. Sometimes it was just two people. Sometimes it was like what we saw last week, uh, you know, the the disciples, and then later on, Thomas. and But he also appeared to crowds as high as 500 people. And so there are a lot of witnesses that can say he physically resurrected. You're not just talking about a handful of people. A lot of people say he physically resurrected. This is no ghost that we saw. It is Jesus Christ the Lord. And so after about 40 days, after he resurrected, after appearing to people here and there, all of a sudden Jesus ascends to heaven. And he prepared his disciples for this because he says, I'm going to ascend to heaven and then I will send the Holy Spirit, the helper. And that was about roughly 10 days after he ascended. So they're again like, just like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Boom, the Holy Spirit comes. And literally to this day, we can celebrate Easter on a daily basis. Like literally to this day, we don't have to have the decorations out. We don't have to have, you know, lunch, big lunches or whatnot. But literally the idea of celebrating Easter daily is quite frankly an idea that I wanted to run with, if it's all right with you. Because I think that type of belief and thinking will really lead us to renewal. You know, we started this journey of renewal uh, back in, I guess it was February, right? When Lent started. And we've been talking about this idea of renewal. And last week we even saw on Easter Sunday, like the, the disciples' faith being renewed and Thomas's faith being renewed. Because he actually saw, they actually saw Jesus in the women that saw Jesus. And then on, you know, it goes on and on and on. Well, today we're going to talk about a passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. So you can go turn there. I'm going to, I'm going to read to us in just a few minutes. Um, but it speaks about this hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, this is something that we say a lot. But like we're going to dig into this whole thing. So let me go ahead, pray for us, and then we'll read what's up there. And you can stand after I say amen. Lord, this morning as we look at um, 1 Peter, one of your disciples, 
the one that you said, Peter, upon you, I'm going to start a thing called church. On you, I'm going to build my rock, Lord, my church. And so he, along the way, failed you and honored you. And now we are here reading the very words that he wrote, a firsthand witness of your resurrection. A firsthand witness of those 40 days that you were here. A firsthand witness of the 10 days after you ascended before the Holy Spirit, which we now have in us if we belong to you. Those 10 long days. But here's someone who wrote this account. And so, Lord, I pray as we read through this, we really grasp the understanding of the hope of the resurrection, that we actually have a living hope in Jesus. Amen. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. We're going to read a few verses now. I'll read some more verses to us a little bit later, but uh, just have you stand for these. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You can be seated. So first, uh, right here, we're right off the bat in verse 3, we see Peter begins this passage with uh, a doxology of sorts. I mean, he's praising God the Father for his great mercy, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can be born again, and it's a new birth that we start to learn is actually one that renews us. Because this renewal comes from the hope in the resurrection of Jesus. And because of that hope, we learn that it is a living hope because why? He's alive. Like Peter saw it. Many people saw it. They wrote it down. It's not just wishful thinking. I mean, there's great evidence of a resurrection. And you see, Christ's triumph over death is the foundation of our faith. Like, we should never forget that. Like, his death and then the resurrection, it demonstrates his power over sin and death. It's a reminder that death is not our ultimate end. And the reason that it's called, that Peter calls this a living hope, is not only that it's Alive, that this hope is actually alive because Jesus is alive. This living hope is also ongoing. Like we can continually be renewed in the fact that there is a living hope, that He is actively involved in our day to day lives, that He's always speaking to us, He's always drawing us to Him. But we don't always hear Him. Or we don't always want to. But it is still ongoing. 
We're not just born again once and for all. There we go. No, it's like we can be born again over and over and over again. Like the joy of that salvation. That at a point in your life, you're like, I'm in. I mean, times it may be like, I was never giddy when I met the Lord. It's okay if you were. I'm not a giddy guy. But like, when I met the Lord, I was really sure that something in me has changed because like, pretty quickly things that I was a part of, I just was like, I don't think I'm supposed to do this anymore. I didn't know. Well, it was the Holy Spirit in me. There was this conviction already happening. I mean, this living hope is ongoing. And sometimes, like, I think I personally, I think this is true of all of us, like, we've kind of gotten away from the innocent simplicity of how we believed and how we followed God in the early days. And so people will compare it to, like, a child, you know. I mean, I don't want you walking around talking like a baby. That's weird. They'll lock you up. But there's something to that explanation that Jesus says. Unless you come to me like a child, you really can't have any part of me. Like we, we, we go with a childlike faith and childlike belief. And so his triumph over death meant that this living hope is ongoing through a relationship and in this, in this relationship, we can actually um, experience like glimpses of like the veil being kind of parted a little bit for heaven. Like we see things that God's doing, we're like, wow. Like, wow, that, that's kind of like a modern day parting of the Red Sea. Or, wow, that person, like, they were like not well emotionally. And then, they got help, and then you see a change because they meet the Lord. I mean, there's so many things that people do and see as we watch God change people. And as God is changing people, these two are evidences of his resurrection, that we're seeing the actual living hope actively working in people other than yourself. And it's really fun to experience it ourselves, too. But what if I don't have faith in God's power and this living hope right now? And maybe it's not in general. Maybe you're like, hey, I, 90% I, I'm, I believe in God's power. I believe in this living hope. But there's 10% of my life that I just, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust him. I, I tried, but things didn't change. I think we've all had those things in our lives. And I don't know what to tell you about those other than trust the 90% right now. Because God still loves you and he still wants to walk you through that other 10% or 15%. Maybe for you it's 50%. I don't know. You put the percentage on it. But you know, the person that has hope It's taught by the world, we all are, to look at the things that aren't right. And so I think with God, often we focus on what's not right in our relationship, what we can't answer. 
And I would encourage you to keep going in that direction, but you're missing a whole other percentage of things about God that you can trust, that are good, that you can grow in, that can renew your hope in a living, in a, with a living hope. And God will take you right where you are. And I've seen it time and time again. That 50% becomes 60. That 60% of like what I believe about God becomes 70. And the Lord just continues to grow us because he changes us. Like he's actively involved in making us different. That's a living hope. That's not like religion. That's the God of the universe. It's like, I'm going to be like the best dad they've ever had and guide them and direct them. You know, when um, our kids were young, um, say around the age of three, we would start to give them a little bit of like uh, freedom to walk across places that weren't necessarily safe as long as they held our hand. So for like, you know, towards the beach, you know, like crossing or whatever, most of the time we'd carry them, but like sometimes they wouldn't want to go and it was like, all right, it's perfectly safe. All right, let's give them a little experience. We'd walk with them. Or we would be in the mall or wherever. And each of them, um, you know, I would say to them, I would invite them to hold my hand and say, all right, hold daddy's hand. And they would reach up and grab my hand. And, um, they each, you know, were holding it to a varying degree. But what was always the case is, is that whether they were holding or not, I, I was holding their hand. They might not even been aware of it, but like I was holding their hand in this situation because they just weren't going to get away. I wasn't going to lose them. Now, how I interacted with each of these kids is very different. Like, first off, I'll, I'll just go from youngest to oldest, if you don't mind. Because I think within these four different personalities, you might find where you are right now in the process of trusting God as a living hope. First off is Joshua. I didn't just hold Josh's hand. Josh, like, needed a leash. Josh was uh, a wild man. Wasn't like, you know, like outright, you know, like a monster disobedient. Like, no, no. Like, if I held his hand and we walked across the street, he would, he would always swing his arm like this. And he would always jump. And if there was a puddle, no problem. I got it. He's going to find it. Like, he was always like, he was like a constant danger to himself. Let's just put it that way. That's why most of our family photos, he's in a stroller. <laughs> and because he, he just would get up and move. Caleb, on the other hand, um, he held my hand a lot tighter than, than Joshua did. And Josh had, I mean, uh, Caleb had my hand in one hand and the thumbs inserted in his mouth. I mean, he was a thumb sucker. He just pounded that thing. And his eyes were like too big for his whole self. And so was his head as he, like, it's so funny, like, looking back at pictures, he was like, wow. And his eyes were like this, and he would always just, like, look around and take everything in. And occasionally he'd pull out his thumb, and he would tell me something, and it'd go right back in. But for Caleb, it wasn't like he was a danger to himself, like Josh was, like, flailing around. Like, Caleb just wandered. And I didn't have to, like, pull Caleb and go, you know, hey, like I did with Joshua. Like, Caleb would just kind of have, just 
meandering through life. Ruth didn't really want to hold my hand, and there's a reason. She wanted me to hold her. She never really wanted to walk across those dangerous places. It made her anxious, and she wanted to feel safe. And so I never said to her, grow up, <laughs> shake it off. Now I'm like, if my daughter wants me to hold her, I mean, it might be weird when she's 12, but okay. <laughs> like, okay. But the interactions Ruth and I had were, they were more quiet. Because she still, as we were going through dangerous things, even though I was holding her, she was still gripping me pretty tight. Like, almost like, is... I know my dad's safe, but like, am I really still safe? But we had quiet conversations. I'd whisper to her like, why are you afraid? What's the matter? She'd give me answers like, nothing. <laughs> I'm fine. Still this is true. Mary held my hand firmly. And Mary, firstborn, so she, she kind of knew the order. It was sort of like, yes, sir. You know, like she, she marched in kind of unison. But Mary, at the age of three, she, wow, we didn't take her in public a lot. She had a running conversation with me, wherever we were. And during this running conversation, there was not really many private thoughts. Do you get what I'm saying? She was three. She didn't have a filter. So we'd be walking. One example, we were walking. She's like, Daddy, why is that dog ugly? As the owner's like, oh my gosh. Like those are the type of things with Mary. So it was a constant difference in each of our kids as we would hold their hand, as we would walk through his this. And this whole hand-holding thing really is a very good description of how God is with us. And this sanctification process that that is in the, the, the wording of what we read here in First Peter. And if you remember back you know, several weeks ago when we talked about uh, renewal um, through like the transforming of your mind, we read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Like that's the type of thing that as God is leading us through life, eventually my kids got older and now they don't hold my hand. Now we walk across together, and sometimes they're like, hey, Dad, whoa, <laughs> don't go yet. But we still have a relationship, and we still talk, and, and in many ways, those tender, tender moments look just like they did when they were three, even far advanced into, like, adulthood. Because it's a relationship. And so this thing that we have with God, because of a living hope, it brings us two things. I mean, this good news of Easter, that if you believe that Jesus came to save you, no matter what grip you have on God's hand, this living hope always has a hold of your hand. He's never letting go. Even if you're a danger to yourself, even if you meander, even if you don't really want to talk, you just want to have God hold you and not say anything. Or even it's just consciousness of like just constant, hey Lord, this is what's on my heart and mind, no matter what the filter is. Here's me. Here's the real me. 
Sorry I said the dog was ugly, how about that? You know, those type of conversations. But this living hope brings us eternal security, which is great, right? It's heaven. I mean, he goes on to say things like, like he stands guard of it. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer in grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that beautiful? There will be trials. They are promised. They are numerous. And they also grieve us. I love that God helped Peter acknowledge that. There are going to be trials. And this grief can bring us to more desperation. And so when we're desperate, sometimes all we have is hope. I don't know about you, but in the darkest times of my life and the most desperate times I've ever been, when I actually leaned in, when I actually like squeezed his hand back, wow, I experienced a love and a depth that I can't even explain to you. It was bumpy. It was hard. It didn't go away. But I walked in it better because God was sanctifying me. He was making me more like Jesus. That's part of the living hope. Living hope is that, yes, we do get heaven forever. Amen. Thank you. But, man, that seems a long time off. I don't know when it's going to happen. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. So what do we do until then? Well, the Lord says, I'll do it. Even when you don't want to do it, if you belong to me, whether you see it or not, I am working in you. If you're pulling away from me, I'm never letting go of your hand. You can do nothing to get out of my grip. That's how hard it, that's how tight it is. And even when we meander, even when we're a danger to ourselves, even when we, you know, just are whatever it is in those type of situations, like, God always loves us. And he never says, what's the matter with you? What's wrong with you? Why are you this way? He just says, oh, I'm so glad you're back. Or, now isn't that much easier? Yeah, we can do that again. If you listen. <laughs> you know, like, and so we go with the Lord that way. 
Faith in God, our living hope, is more precious than gold. Because He's our living hope, we are reminded that our present sufferings, they are they're temporary. They're still hard. But they're not forever. They don't compare to the glory that awaits us. We can endure trials and tribulations and things like that with confidence, knowing that our forever home is not here, but it's actually in heaven and it is secured. When the Lord, when Peter writes there that it's kept for us, I mean, it's a military term, but like imagine the secret service, imagine the inauguration day. That's the type of security that's around our living hope. Like it's never going away. And hope is something we all need, especially in difficult times. It gives us something to say, wow, one day I won't have to wrestle with this. One day this won't make me sad anymore. One day the painful memories of certain things just they won't exist. But until now, till then, I have with me now the same living hope that I will fully experience one day in heaven. But as God changes me through constant renewal, I'll understand more and more what this living hope is all about.